Hey, we want to welcome our listeners to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network uh, with my uh, co-host and best friend, Chief Swag Humphrey. How you doing today, brother? Man, you're overdoing it with that best friend thing, man. I, I tell you, you I, I haven't given you permission to say that. Oh, oh, you know what? I forgot, man. Let me, let me, I'm just kidding, I forgot. Man. I, I you know, forgot, man. You know you're my boy, man. You know you're my boy. You know you're my boy, man. Just playing with you, man. <laughs> How you doing today, sir? How you? Brother, I'm doing, I'm doing good, brother. How about you, man? Oh, man, I'm doing good, man. Just trying to stay, trying to stay dry. You know, I think we're in, in uh, two states, man, where, where we're getting a lot of rain. We're getting a lot, man. A lot of rain. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of rain and uh you know, with a lot with a, a lot of other things going on. So hey, you know, we want to welcome our listeners to You and the Long, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh this is uh part three of a series of uh of our conversation about bridging the gap. And uh this week, uh Keith, we're gonna be talking about in this era of, of divide, how how do uh how does the law enforcement community uh, go about bridging the gap uh, with, with so many things going on. So we've got a an exciting show uh, uh, ahead of us, uh, a lot of good conversations about uh, bridging the gap and uh, how, how do you do, go about doing that in the in the black community. But, you know, Keith, once again, we're we're on and and several things have happened uh, since our last show last week. And uh it's just uh see like man, there's just some 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 trying times for, for the country we're living in and, and, and law enforcement is kinda of right in the middle of it. Well, you know, we are the first line of defense daily and so we we have no choice. We can't turn our backs on it. Uh and so that's why it's really important for us to have those positive relationships <laughs> in our communities, uh with our communities and, and things like that to try to uh, navigate through these tough times because there are uh, man I've never seen anything like this in my in my 32 years law enforcement uh, it, yeah it, I think you know it just seems like you know the more people that you know you have conversations with it's it's almost like are we we're instead of going forward we're going uh, backwards in 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 that um, relationship that uh with the black community and with uh with any minority community uh but it seems like the black community is just at the forefront of of having that racial divide between uh the, their local police and you know somebody asked me you know well somebody made the comment that you know oh that's kind of these are isolated incidents um yeah some some of them are isolated but you know Keith the sad thing about it is when you hear almost mm-hmm. every in every state there's something going on that is involving you know the killing of an unarmed black mm-hmm. person or something that is questioned about how police have have interacted with with the black community and you know just yesterday i think there's a news about uh, a shooting in la where, where a gentleman was riding a bicycle so and, and he was shot, and so it, it, it's some. There's some things that this country and, and the, every uh, community really needs to 
uh, have some serious conversations about the direction of, of, of policing and where policing is going, um, especially with a pandemic uh, that we're still dealing with and uh, a presidential election. Yeah, and, and, you know, it doesn't give the community any, uh, make them feel any better when they know that uh, the DOJ, uh, when you have the attorney general that's basically saying that let's let police departments do do their job, to stop stepping in. It's not the federal government's job to investigate those type of things. Um, let police handle their business uh, by any means necessary. I mean, that doesn't help either. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and Keith, we, I want to remind those who are listening to the show that the uh, calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. When you call into the show, uh, you you may hear some silence. The show producer will ask you if you have a comment or if you'd like to come on air. Uh, so, you know, if you have a, uh, a comment, uh, let the producer know. Uh, he'll get that to us. And uh, Or if you would like to just come on air and have a conversation with us, uh, just let him know that, hey, you have a question and you would like to, uh, to speak with us directly because you will be on live. So, Keith, a lot of people when they call in, they hear us talking and they kind of, you know, they don't say anything. So we want to make sure that uh, everybody's given an opportunity to, to either just listen to the show or just call in and, and, and share your uh, comments with us. So, um, because we want to hear that's from what this, you. We hear from yeah, we want to hear, hear from you. From you, from you know, that, we do. Yeah. And that's what this show is about. I mean, you know, we are, you know, we discuss matters related to, to you and the, in, in law enforcement and, and to really, you know, from my perspective of, of being in law enforcement, to, to give give some, um, you know, educated uh, information to to our listeners, and just have that uh, honest conversation, uh, as we stated on every show. You know, this is a show where we're going to talk about things that may be uncomfortable to talk about, but we're going to talk about them. Everybody may not agree with with our opinions or maybe that conversation, but. That that's what a a good uh, open dialogue is all about. Is you know we can agree to disagree, but at the end of the day, how are we going to make uh, the situation better than what it is currently right now? Yeah, absolutely, man. You, yeah, I, I can't, I couldn't say it any better. Yeah, and, and Keith, you know this this past week, you know, with so many things happen, and it's it's almost you know it 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 takes a lot to kind of keep up with with everything that's going on across the country. And, um, you know, several things have been posted to our social media uh, Facebook page. And want to remind our listeners that you can also follow us on, on our social media platform, which is uh, on mm-hmm. Facebook. That's uh, you and the law on Facebook. Uh, you can also follow us on, uh, on Instagram and that's you underscore in the law. And you can also follow us on Twitter at you, the law one. So, um, have comments, please leave your comments on our Facebook page. Go to our Facebook page and like the page and share the page and with your family and friends. And uh, but Keith, one of the things that uh, we're going to be talking about earlier on in the show is um, uh, an incident that took place uh, in the state of Arkansas uh, where a sheriff was... Um, man, called, man, 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 man. It, 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 it is... It, you know, and a lot of people, Keith, is kind of like, you know, you shake your head, and it's kind of like we're in 2020, 
And and so here's a sheriff who has since resigned, um, uh, and uh, he had a he was having his girlfriend or ex girlfriend or whatever she is. She recorded the conversation where he used the N word repeatedly because she spoke to uh, a gentleman inside of a store in um, in DeWitt, Arkansas, and. Uh, uh, not too far from where I served as a police chief in Arkansas a few years ago, and uh, probably two hours from Little Rock, uh, Keith. But it's uh, uh, very disturbing uh, uh, audio to listen to. And so for our listeners, we're going to play some of that. We're going to play uh, that clip and a, and a clip of a news uh, release um out of a news station out of Little Rock who actually interviewed the the gentleman that the former sheriff was actually talking about. Uh, his girlfriend had a conversation in a store with, with with somebody that she knows, and he felt like she shouldn't have been talking to this in. And so uh, real disturbing. And the fact that this is a one of the highest elected officials in law enforcement as a sheriff, and he has that that type of um, racial overtone, Keith. So, um, very disturbing, man. So, Keith, we're gonna uh, very take our first. Very embarrassing. Yeah, it is. It is. So, so we listen. We're gonna take our first break, and uh, you listen to you and the law on the Backs of the News Radio Network. County Sheriff has resigned after a video of him using racial slurs made the rounds on social media. This morning, the Arkansas County Quorum Court calling a special meeting and calling for his resignation. Claire Kreitz joining us now with more on what unfolded today. Claire. Yeah, that's right, Bob. At first, Sheriff Todd Wright held his ground, saying he didn't mean it the way it came off, and he would not resign. After more community members took the podium expressing their feelings about the video and the racial slurs used, he ultimately changed his mind and resigned effective immediately. Nothing but cheers coming from the lawn outside the Arkansas County Courthouse as Todd Wright took his final walk as sheriff. Thankfully, with everyone's help, he he decided to resign today, uh, effective today. County Judge Eddie Buss says his resignation comes after this video circulated on social media. And it right can be heard saying a racial slur at least eight times. For him to come out like that, you know, it was, it was just heartening because I know, you know, that hurt a lot of people's feelings. This is like my first time ever having to deal with any type of racism. Dominic Clark says he is the person Wright is referring to in the video. People like myself, scared to go outside, you know, scared to drive a vehicle, scared to walk past a cop, you know, for, you know, fear of being profiled just because you're black. 
In a special called quorum court meeting, court and community members spoke up calling for his resignation. Someone got to his heart and he decided to, to step down. Clark says he's happy Wright is out of office, but wonders about the rest of the department. It makes you think about the whole force. Judge Best says he hopes this swift action proves the county will not tolerate racism going forward. Quorum court is not going to let an elected official operate in that manner. I did reach out to Todd Wright. He did not have a comment at this time. Judge Best says the county will declare a vacancy September 8th at their next quorum court meeting. That's when they will decide whether to appoint someone or hold a special election. Bob. All right, Claire, thanks. Hey, we want to welcome our listeners back to you and the Long the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we just listened to uh, an uh, audio uh, recording of the sheriff in uh, Arkansas who uh, has since resigned for using racial slurs. And we want to uh, also a clip that was provided mm-hmm. by a local uh, Little Rock uh, uh, TV station who actually interviewed the gentleman who uh, the sheriff was referring to in his tirade uh uh, with his with his uh, girlfriend, so uh, very disturbing uh, audio clip. Uh, he the, the fact that uh, highly elected official uh, just uh, it, it's inexcusable, and the fact that he basically in the beginning felt like he was not going to to try to say that um, he didn't mean it the way it came out. How do you how do you explain that? So, you know, it is, it's real disturbing that you've got a, an elected official who, uh, that was anger, man. Yeah, that was real anger. That was, that yeah. was real anger toward that, both the, his girlfriend and that, and the gentleman that she was saying. I mean, that was, that was one of those that he just exploded. You know, it's sort of like he had that bottled up in him for so long. I mean, you know, I know we all have bad days. We all have, you know, trying times, but it was like, you know, he was looking for that moment to express those words and those feelings. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I had a conversation with, with somebody who, who made the comment that, you know, this is probably, uh, you know, uh, an everyday thing. I, you know, we can't say that because again, this was, uh, something that was, was leaked, uh, and put out on social media by the person who recorded it. So, uh, again, it goes to, to this question, Keith, is, you know, here, here's a sheriff who, uh, has been around for, uh, that agency for over 30 years. And, you know, a lot of people are now asking the question, what is the, the culture of that, uh, of that, of that law enforcement agency? Are there other officers who, uh, have worked under this sheriff who, who have the same, uh, thoughts about uh, about blacks in that community, and uh, you know this is up around the Pine Bluff area. So there's a there's a large population of, of, of blacks who live uh, in that part of Arkansas, and and the fact that you know you listen to the gentleman who uh, who this uh, who was involved in this, Keith, and he now he's like you know hey you know as a black man I'm. I'm kind of fearful of even just driving around, you know, what are the police going to do? So it just goes back to the conversation that we're having about bridging the gap and the fact that there is such a distrust between 
the black community and law enforcement and can can law enforcement really some kind of way start working to repair the damage that has been done oh absolutely i i think every day is a a a a, a job interview every day is a an opportunity to change the perception and the reality that some people have when it comes to law enforcement you know you just can't you can't stop when you have things like this any police department even the, even the department that he was the sheriff of now this is an opportunity to get out um listen and come up with game plan ask the community to help uh this is that opportunity but you know you, you do have those those organizations that run and hide uh you know you don't see them uh, you won't see them in the community. Uh, they'll try to keep a low profile because they think that's the right thing to do. Well, that's the wrong thing to do. The right thing is to do is to is to uh, stand up, admit you made a mistake. Let's move forward. Help us grow. Help us help help us grow. Help us be better. Help us be better than this. We've got a stain on us right now. How do we clean that stain? Or how do we make that stain smaller? That's what you've got to do. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be overnight. You know, it's not going to, it may not even take, it may be longer than a year or years, but it can be done. Yeah, it, it, it definitely can be. And, 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 you know, especially with, you've got so many people in, in the communities who are, who are really working to try to, to, to make some change and, uh, and hold, hold people accountable. Uh, but one of the things is that law enforcement has to really embrace that and, and really want to be a part of that, that change. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like that saying, you take, you take one step forward and you, you take two steps back. Um, and it's, you know, I, I listened to a, an FOP president who made the comment that, you know, it's almost like, no matter what law enforcement does, it, it it's not right. And, you know, you kind of have to think about that. How do you put that into context, Keith, is that, you know, if you're, you're trying to say that the community, no matter what you do, you're still not going to be doing anything right. So, but you have to, you have to be, you have to listen to the, to the people in your community uh, and understand their concerns because, you know, I think the the message is clear, Keith. That you know, uh, uh, policing in America is broken, and, and and there there must be some change. And and the question is, but how? How do you go by doing that change with policing across the United States? You know, I don't know. You have to have courage. You have to have courage to stand up and and, and do it. And I've said this before. Admit you're wrong. Let's move forward. Help us grow. But I will tell you that as an African-American, I know for a fact that African-Americans have given law enforcement um, so many opportunities, so many opportunities to um, want to believe in us, you know, want to want to really truly believe in community policing, partnerships, safety and things like that. But then when they, you know, when we see things like we've seen on TV, and the things that we hear um, police say, especially about uh, communities of color or, uh, you know, the, uh, the those individuals that might be uh, in a lower socioeconomic um, category, 
uh, it's disheartening and it's very difficult. Uh, people may forgive, but they don't forget. And so I think that's the yeah. biggest thing that the law enforcement has needs to take from this. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the, there has to be an honest discussion about uh, how how to reform policing. And I think some people in the policing community may say, well, there's no need to reform policing. We're doing everything right. That They may have a problem, but we don't have a problem. But I think when you, you look at uh, the, the things that have occurred, you have to even acknowledge some of the things that may be occurring in your agency uh, that obviously is not getting any media attention. And, you know, I've said this, I've said this before, Keith, you know, cities are, are you're, you're one day away or one hour away from being a Ferguson or from, from being a um, Kenosha, Wisconsin, or from being all, uh, or, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, because it takes, just the action of one or two police officers to, to set uh, things in motion to where uh, people will protest, they will talk about how that uh, incident took place, but you have to be able to uh, acknowledge that there are some things that are going on, and it may not be known to the public. So, And I think that's a conversation, Keith, that uh, I don't, you know, agencies should really have is about how do you fix some problems that are within your department uh, before they become a Ferguson or before they become uh, a Kenosha, Wisconsin? I would tell all of our, all of our listeners to do research on Camden, New Jersey's. Uh, yeah. Uh, when Camden, New Jersey based, Camden, New Jersey basically dissolved their police department and went to a metropolitan police department and the, if you look drastically, I mean, the, 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 there was a drastic change in, uh, in re- drastic reduction in crime. There was a drastic improvement in community relations with the police department based on the fact that they clean house. Yeah, uh, they yeah. clean house and started and started from scratch. And, and it, it really did. Uh, it was a, it was an amazing, it's an amazing model to see what can happen when you really do realize that there are some problems there you can do better and the and the and the team that you have in place is not the ones that help and make things better um Camden, new jersey do some research i would ask the listeners to go and research that story it's an amazing story yeah and, and when you talk about uh reforming police that that is a, a prime example uh, of reforming uh policing and, and the, the great success stories that they have uh, that have come, that have came out of all the effort that they put into to changing that culture of, of that police department and turning it uh, completely around. So, you know, Keith, we uh, you know we also want to you go ahead, sir. Well, I was going to say this real quick. You know, and you look at this sheriff that 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 was involved in this incident, and you know what we have to realize in law enforcement that it's not always the physical assaults, the use of excessive force, it's the it's the it's the intangibles that you yeah. know, the, the body language, you know, the, the those type of things, the uh, you know, failing to get out of the car and, and things like that. It's not what you say, it's it's how you you know, what you say, how you say it, 
your body expression. You know, we, we talk about 80% of communications is nonverbal. And so when you have something like this that occurred, uh, it's this, to me, this was no different than one of his officers using excessive force. I mean, just the things that were said, uh, the things that were said, his demeanor, his attitude, um, you know, the, the arrogance, uh, the condescending tone, you know, toward uh, that gentleman. So it's not always about we got to stop thinking that it's about putting your hands on people. Uh, it's exactly. not always about that. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, hey, uh, before we take a, uh, come up on our, our next break, hey, we want to remind our listeners that uh, you can also listen to our rebroadcast shows on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with you. If you're on the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome you back to You on the Long, the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that uh, there are many other great shows that are on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And one of those shows is the Bachelor News Radio show with your host, L.A. Bachelor. Uh, the show discusses issues of race, politics, policing, injustice, and equality, religion, and sports that affect the black and brown and poor uh, poor people negatively. You can listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at blogtalkradio.com uh, at L.A. Bachelor and on the rebroadcast every at 8 a.m. and at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the bachelornews.airtime.pro and if you're interested in having your own show on the Bachelor News Radio Network or if you're interested in advertising uh, with us, uh, Reach out to us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. That's labachelor40 at gmail.com. And listen and stay informed on the uh, Bachelor News Radio Network. So we want to remind our listeners that today we're having this conversation, our part three of our series, Keith, on uh, bridging the gap and how do we we work uh, to bridge the gap in this era of so much divide. uh, with with so many things that have happened across the country re- related to law enforcement in the black community. Well, we got to be flexible. That's another thing. We're not flexible. We're not we're not flexible at all. You know, we we say that we do things because people say we should be doing them. We don't do things a lot of times because we want to do them or they're needed. Uh, we wait until things happen before we start looking at our training and we start looking at wellness and we start looking at community our community engagement and things like that that should that shouldn't you shouldn't um have to wait until that uh, you know one of the things that i'd like to see more departments look at um and really your 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 smaller to mid-sized cities which they're majority they're the majority of the police departments in the nation are 50 people or less 
you just really think mm-hmm. about it. And, and, and yeah. those departments really, at some point, they've got to have a strategic plan. Uh, and if you're going to do a strategic plan, you have to sit down and bring the community in to help you uh, help you develop that strategic plan. Um, you know, I'd like to see more police departments, even if you can't afford national accreditation. I'd like to see more departments get become a part of their state accreditation uh, process. Uh, you know, to talk about industry standards and things like that. I think a lot of times um, when you're in a a small to mid-sized city. Uh, and for you, the citizens that aren't familiar with that, it's it's really your police departments that serve cities of uh, of about two hundred and fifty thousand to three hundred thousand and under. Uh, a lot of times, you have chiefs that believe they're intimidated by the larger cities. Uh, then you have some of the larger city chiefs that don't reach out to the smaller departments. Uh, and uh, and offer their resources, <clears throat> and then those chiefs that just don't know where to go. I mean, you know, as far as the funding and things like that. So, when you don't have the funding, you do have to be creative. Uh, you have to be creative and bring people in. You have organizations out there that are willing to send people out to train you. You have to allow your people to go to training. If not, host the training. So. You've got to be willing to come up and do creative things in order to make this work, in order to understand. You have to be a student of the profession. You just can't sit in your office and, and read books and, and watch TV to see what's actually going on in, in the nation and law enforcement. You have to find out things for yourself. You can't be so quick to jump on the bandwagon with the unions and things, and you can't be afraid of the unions. Uh, you have to run a police department uh, from the inside out that, you can be proud of internally and that the community can will be proud of externally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and Keith, one of the things that I want to share with our listeners that, you know, this conversation about, uh, you know, building better relationships between the police and the black community, uh, this, this is something that is, that goes way back to the civil rights era this is something that goes even back to, uh, and I know you're very, I know you're very familiar with it. We want to share with our listeners. Uh, in 1967, uh, there was the, the Kearns Commission uh, uh, that was put out. Uh, it was adopted by, appointed uh, by President uh, Lyndon B. Johnson to investigate the cause of uprising and rioting that year uh, in, in 1967. And direct, uh, that recommended ways to improve relationships between uh, police and the black community. But in the end, um, it just entrenched law enforcement as a means of social control. And, y- you know, you had neighborhood police stations were uh, put in, in, in public housing projects. Uh, so there were a lot of things that came out of that current, out of that report that, in some, it, it was more of a negative uh, than, than anything positive because it just it, it put law enforcement more in a control over uh, the black community, especially in the poor community, especially in public housing. Uh, so th- that's something that, you know, if our listeners are not familiar with, look up the, the Kearns Commission and, and read about that and, 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 and understand that you know, the government has tried to intervene, has tried to do some things, but 
Keith, I don't think that that intervention has always been uh, in a in a. It, there's probably been some positive intentions, but there were some negative intentions that came out of it. Well, there was two, and it's the, it's the Kerner Kerner Commission, and yeah, and, Kerner, and, yeah. And Berger, well, Berger, there's been three. Uh, in 1929, you had the Wickersham Committee uh, that looked at the same thing because there was a lot of corruption uh, in law enforcement, and they were looking at why there was so much corruption in law enforcement. And then you fast forward to, you know, you fast forward to um, 40 years later, 47 years later, almost 50 years later, 47 years later, <clears throat> then you look at the Kerner Commission, and then you look at 2015. Uh, with the, uh, Obama's uh, 21st century policing. So in nearly 100 years, you know, there have been three major um, calls for police reform. And although some of those, I mean, those even back in 29 and 67, they talked about better education. They talked about uh, community engagement. But, but what you have to understand, and to the listeners out there, you don't take it from me and, and Virgil, you go back and you read your history, law enforcement has always been, uh, when law enforcement was formed here in the United States, to be heavy-handed toward communities of color, to keep people under control, to keep communities of color under control. And and so uh, that's why, you know, you, you have, you know, the NAACP and LULAC and, and you know, the Black Lives Matter movement are basically saying, hey, this has been going on you know, for hundreds of years uh, where police have been brought in heavy-handed. I mean, and so when, since when have we as police department, police um, officers, and you, in, in our time, Virgil, you know, our, our when have we been brought in to stop somebody from voting? Uh, we're, we're never, never. We're never brought never. in, yeah, and we're never brought in uh, <clears throat> for, for, you know, people to protest at events like abortion clinics and things like that. We're brought in for the peace, you know, where people start getting, you know, becoming agitated, becoming violent. But we've never been in, you know, in, in my in my career, in my tenure as a, as a police officer, you know, we've never been brought in to do that. Now, reverse back 40, 50 years, that's what was going on all the time. Uh, you know, if you had a, a protest, you were you were brought in. You to be heavy-handed. We didn't want these protests. We didn't want these problems. We're going to show people who we are, and so that's why mm-hmm. some people still have remnants of that in their minds when they see what's going on, uh, the George Floyd situation. When they see that stuff, they basically feel that law enforcement is brought in to control community, heavy-handedly control communities of color to get to get them under control and to show them where their place is. And so that's that's thing that that people have to realize. This is gener- generational for some. Uh, this is this is what you know. Your great grandparents, your great grandparents, your grandparents, um, even before them, uh, have have had these experiences, and 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 they're telling their families and their kids and their grandkids about, hey, this is nothing new. And so that's why it's important for police chiefs to hear to know their history. Uh, and, and we got to quit focusing on the fact of police officers have to quit focusing on the fact of, well, the African-American community and the, the communities of color are picking on us. You know, you, you say we're doing everything we can do. Now, we can do better. 
because um, we're all everybody who's wearing a uniform is is hopefully uh, wearing a uniform for the same purpose, and so. I know it's unfair. It's extremely unfair for one police officer like the guy in Minneapolis to be, um, for you to be compared to that person. But listen, it is what it is. It's not based mm-hmm. on the one incident in Minneapolis. It's not based on the one incident in, in Aurora, Colorado. It's not based on, you know, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It's not based on Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin. It's based on years and years of, and, and decades of, of this occurring, um, these are just the incidents that we know about, and, and I don't mean yeah. to take up a long time, but it goes back to what I what I've said when I go out and do speaking engagements, and I've said this to my officers: it's the fact that we have an opportunity to get it right again after the Rodney King situation. We had an opportunity. Yeah. We, we and, to the, and to the point, we have done some things better. We've gotten better. Let me let me just say that. We've gotten better at things, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, when we keep saying we're doing our best, are we really, what can we do more of? What can we do? We can always do better. You can't say in your personal life, I can do better, but then in your professional life as law enforcement, we're doing all we can. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting that you bring that up, you know, with the Rodney King deal. I mean, you know, uh, you know, that what goes back to, what, 1992, you know, after the acquittals of the three officers who pretty much just savagely beat Rodney King, uh, which was caught on, you know, on a citizen's camera and the uh, unrest that erupted in L.A. You know, I think there were, you know, if I remember right, Keith, there were probably 50 people died. Uh, and, and one of the things that that I found uh, while researching for the show was that, you know, uh, in, in 1994, Congress gave the Justice Department the authority to investigate patterns or practices of policing that violated civil rights protection. So the Justice Department has a lot of authority. And, you know, somebody asked me this question, is the Justice Department really a department that should be investigating policing matters because of their relationship with each other? Uh, the Justice Department plays a, a key role in investigating violation of, of civil rights era, violate, you know, investigating, uh, you know, police misconduct that is brought to the Justice Department. But, you know, Keith, when you talk about something that happened in 1992, then you talk about the current things that have happened from, you know, Michael Brown to Eric Garner to, George Floyd to Breonna Taylor to all these other people that we can't even remember their names. It is just like, what is really going on that why can't somebody get it right? And so, you know, uh, we're coming up on our, uh, on our next break and, and we'll, we'll finish that conversation uh, after we come back from break, Keith, about why can't we get it right? What are police departments doing and even to include the Justice Department, what is not being done right to to, to change uh, some of the things that have occurred over the past several decades? So uh, you listen to and we you want you to call in. The, please call in. Yeah, please call yeah, in. Please call in. And, and and also you can go into the chat room and leave your your comments in the chat room, and those messages will will get to us. But you listen to you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. <laughs> 
If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Hey, we want to welcome you back to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And we also want to remind everyone that uh, you can listen to the rebroadcast shows of You and the Law uh, on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And just take your local listening to catch our rebroadcast shows if you can't catch us live. Uh, uh, and uh, you can catch our rebroadcast shows. But if you're just now joining us, uh, we want to remind you that this is part three of our series of Bridging the Gap. And, and this week we're discussing uh, in this era divide, how do, how, do we, uh, how do we bridge that gap? How does the law enforcement uh, bridge that gap? And uh, we want to remind those, if we got people on the line that are listening to the show, you can definitely uh, come on air with us or you can let the uh, producer know that you've got a question or a comment. Uh, so don't be uh, radio shy. Come on and talk to us and let us know what your thoughts and concerns are about uh, bridging, uh, bridging the gap and what concerns you may have with uh, that's going on in your uh, community with, with your involvement with, with your local, local police department. So, uh, you know, Keith, as we were talking, you know, about what happened in 1992 with Rodney King and all the other things that have happened, and... Uh, and, 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 you know, since 2013, I think the Black Lives Matter movement has made uh, police violence a, a pressing national and local issue. Uh, and, and now you've got people who are, uh, who are really trying to make the Black Lives Matter movement out of some radical movement because of all of the things that's going on with the protesting. But the Black Lives Matter movement is, is peaceful protesting. You, you've got a lot of people who are running around with Black Lives Matter T-shirts on, and they're instigating, they're, they're, they're looting, they're rioting, and uh, it's really starting to put the Black Lives BLM in a, in a spotlight that is really kind of taken away from the true message of what Black Lives Matter movement is about. Yeah, it, it is, Virgil, and um, it is, and, and that's the sad thing about it. You know, I mean, even police officers, um, you know, we've gotten caught up in this deal that Black Lives Matter is a radical group, you know, and it's just like people need to go back and look at their history about the Black Panthers and why the Black Panthers started. Uh, exactly. Was there, some, was mm-hmm. it, were there some tragic things that occurred? I think if you go back and you look at the history of the Black Panthers, there was over 70 uh, civic program started by Black Panthers. And I got told you before, and to the listening audience, we don't condone violence, but I think people have to go back and look at the reason why the Black Panthers were formed. Uh, and it's sort of like what, it's the exact same thing of why Black Lives Matter was, was formed. And you have to understand and you have to be open-minded. And, and one of the things that's been a frustrating part of being a police officer 
being African-American police officer, being a African-American chief, the frustrating part of it is, is that you do have these officers that, that shut down uh, when you start talking about the history and they want to make examples of, well, this, 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 and this. And we can all, we can all talk about things that we disagree with that, that the people who look like us or resemble us have done. <clears throat> but, but I think the thing that makes the communities of color upset is that you minimize the purpose of the existence of these groups. Uh, you look for the violent things instead of the positive things that have, that have been doing. And, and the people who start these groups are, are not the ones that are committing these violent acts of the, the looting. Uh, they're, like I said before, those normally are the people that don't even live in those cities. But unfortunately, they get the brunt of it. You know, they're, they're the brunt of it or get blamed for it. So we have to look at what the purpose of the groups were. Look at the purpose of the NAACP. Look at the purpose of LULAC. Look at the purpose of Black Lives Matter. Look at why National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives was started. National Black Police Association was started. National Form of Black Public Administrators. Look at why those organizations were founded. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you'll think you'll understand the frustration from the communities of color when it comes to what's going on in 2020, what's going on since 2015. We talk about things happening from 2015, but really when you think about it, go back hundreds of years and decades and see the things uh, that people believe are still going on that are still worse. And, and, and I think then people will understand the purpose of these organizations and the purpose of the need for, for these organizations and strong leaders to stand up and, and, speak out against the things that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know, you and I had this conversation, uh, and, and, you know, pose this conversation to our listeners uh, as well. Um, are police officers becoming involved in things that are, that are not really police related matters? You know, we have seen police officers who have been called to, hotels uh, because a mom and her kids were swimming in the swimming pool. Uh, the, the lady who worked at the hotel said she didn't recognize them or they didn't, wasn't supposed to be in the pool. Or Then you see police officers being called to, uh, you know, to restaurants to, because, hey, this person said this, this person wasn't supposed to be there. I mean, Again, I just think it just kind of goes back to when does the, a police officer, if there's not a, anything that has been, that has happened that was a criminal act uh, that really calls for the police officers to, to be there, they really need to, to remove themselves from that because, again, getting called to, you know, uh, you know a, a major chain hotel, you know, uh, because... Uh, a mother and her kids are swimming in the swimming pool, and now you, and now you want to ask that person uh, for their ID. You want to ask them what kind of car you're driving. You want to ask them where's your hotel car key at. And so now, when people start to refuse and not give you that information, now it becomes a police matter because they're saying, "Well, you have to identify yourself. You have to tell me who you are," and Things just go way left. But if you if you don't put yourself in those situations, 
again, I think a police officer shows up at Howard, you know, at a hotel, uh, and and the clerk says, "Hey, you know, this there's some people that shouldn't be in the swimming pool." Well, Keith, we all know you have to have a card to get into a gate. You just can't jump over a gate. So who's going to go through all that trouble to get into a swimming pool and you got your kids with you? So use some common sense uh, with it because I think that just leads up to the tension that occurs between uh, the black community and law enforcement. Well, you know, it starts with that phone call, and, and you have to make sure your dispatchers have the proper training to ask those questions. And to the listening audience, really and truly, we 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 have to go to those. We have to go to calls uh, because what's a what's a uh, uh, emergency to you may not be to us, and vice versa. However, talking to that person who called in and getting the information does trigger hopefully common sense where you say so you call me out here because you've got a person here that's swimming and you don't think they're staying in the hotel or you don't think they live in this apartment complex among the 600 or some units here just because you've never seen that person well we're not getting involved in that that's not a that's not a police matter that's a personal matter and we're going to leave um you're, I mean, those are, that's the way you can handle that. Unless somebody tells you something differently. You know, unless somebody gives you something to believe that an offense has occurred or about to occur. But it's not a crime for somebody to be, you know, uh, in a pool with their socks on. When you, when you hear about this, you know, or you've got a young man that, that accidentally bumped into a lady and she feels as though the young man, a nine-year-old, was... Uh, had sexually assaulted her or, you know, was inappropriately touching her. And then when you watch the video, you know, it tells, you know, it shows clearly that it was an accident. Then go, then leave, make your notes and just leave. Um, yeah. You don't always have to get somebody's information, you know, and it goes back to training. How are we training officers? Why are we training officers that you got to get a name every time you go out there? But then at the same time, we tell people, everybody doesn't have to talk to you. Everybody doesn't have to welcome up, be well, you know, warm up to you. There are just times when you have to leave. I think we're giving officers uh, dual messages. And, and, and so, you know, that's the frustrating part about it. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, when we, even when you go back and you think about previous things that have happened, uh, in the country, and especially uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with the uh, race riots, Th- those race riots were were started because of of a young black man, the male, was on an uh, an elevator, and a, a, a Caucasian lady accused him of, of looking at her the wrong way or inappropriately touching her, and that set off the uh, the Tulsa. Uh, race ride, all because of something that somebody went and told law enforcement that happened that they didn't witness, and that just set off a, a, one of the the worst race rides this country has seen. Uh, but again, you got law enforcement in the middle of it, and and Keith, there is you know with with social media, you see so many videos of police officers interacting with, with young black men. Um, and, and a lot of it is, is they're not being honest. 
And it just kind of goes back to this conversation that we're having today is about bridging the gap. Uh, the you, you try to take an opportunity to build a relationship with somebody that they don't know you and you don't know them. And I'll share this with our listeners. There's a, a disturbing video I saw of, a, of an 18-year-old uh, high school, outstanding high school student going home from work or he's, he's on his day off. He gets pulled over. The next thing you know, the officers are asking him, does he have any guns or drugs in the car? And, he says no. He gets out the car. They search the car, and eventually they just write him a citation because the reason for the stop was because he made an illegal lane change. But they call a drug dog out. They go through his car. His mom comes out. She's upset, and that those officers just wasted any opportunity to build any kind of positive relationship with that young man. And he's going he's 18 years old. He's going to remember that for the rest of his life. Will he probably have some positive encounters with some other police officers? Probably yes. But he's going to remember that real negative encounter that he had with those police officers who pulled him over, um, basically said, well, the dog – said there was a scent of marijuana in the car, and so they searched him. But at the end of it, he goes, he gets put through all of this here, and he gets a traffic citation. So when you talk about bridging the gap and, and building relationships, uh, oftentimes officers are, it's almost kind of like they forget where they come from. You know, they put on that badge and uniform, and they just forget that, you know, we're all humans. We need to really work with each other. Yeah, you, yeah, right, man. We get emotionally hijacked. Emotionally hijacked. That's the that's the yeah. word there. Emotionally hijacked. Yeah, and you know, Keith, another disturb. You know, something else that I think that really needs to change, and I think it just goes back to when we talk about the. Black Lives Matter, we talk about the NAACP, we talk about other organizations that are really uh, trying to have this dialogue with law enforcement about changing the culture of policing. You have police administrators who want to ignore this term, and you have a president who does not even want to acknowledge that the the systemic racism that exists in law enforcement. And there's going to be some people who are listening, who are probably in law enforcement who will disagree with us or disagree with me and say, that's absolutely ridiculous. There is no systemic racism in law enforcement. So my question is, if there's not any systemic racism in law enforcement, why are we having the problems that we're having? Answer that question. If we didn't have systemic racism, if we didn't have these issues, why do we continue to see the things that occur? Especially, and but we're so quick to come to the defense, or some people, to the defense of a 17-year-old who walks into, who goes into a city, who doesn't live there, who takes it upon himself with other people to claim that they're there to protect private property and shoots 
and kills two people and seriously injures another. But he is put out, well, he was doing what he had the right to do. How does a 17-year-old have the right to carry that type of a weapon into a community claiming that he's there to help protect private property? Well, I mean, Virgil, is just like when somebody says something like, well, if George Floyd had just uh, cooperated, he wouldn't be in that situation. And, and, and my thing is on that, that is, that is the most ludicrous and the most in, uh, uh, insensitive thing that you can say. It doesn't matter what he did before then. It matters the fact that he was under, he was, he was compliant, he was under control, and, uh, you know, he was killed. That's the, that's the thing we have to, you know, that bothers me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, Keith, we're coming up on uh, about three minutes uh, to the show ends, but, you know, we want to remind our listeners that, uh, you know, if you cannot listen to the show live or if you come in and catch part of the show, you know, uh, go back and check us out on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. That's the bachelornews.airtime.pro. You can catch us uh, every day of the week uh, from 4 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and just check your local listings where you are to, to catch uh, the rebroadcast of You and the Law. But, you know, Keith, uh, uh, and also we want to remind our listeners, please please go to our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, share it. We want to get our likes up and want to get the message out about You and the Law uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network where, you know, probably one of the, the – uh, there are other podcast shows out here discuss law enforcement matters, but I think we're we're probably the one that is really uh, taking this on directly, Keith. Where, where we're just having an, an honest conversation with our listeners about uh, things that are concerned to them, and and we also want to let you know, hey, if you've got a topic that you uh, would like to talk about or or come on the air and and talk to us. Feel free. That's what, this show is for you, and this show is not just about, you know, Chief Humphrey and Chief Green. This show is about our our, our listeners. Uh, because you know, Keith, as you know, we got some faithful listeners out there who are from Florida all the way up to Maryland, Virginia, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Arkansas. So uh, we just thank everybody for, for definitely uh, tuning in and listening to us. Yeah, and I know we uh, we're getting close to time. But I got to say this, man. You know what, I, I, man, it's an honor being on radio with you, but let me tell you something. You, you know, man, oh, oh, you got to be, <laughs> but listen, you got to be a smooth, you got to be a smooth brother to have a name like L.A. Bachelor. Is that not smooth? That is smooth. Man, that is smooth, that's man. That's smooth, man. I mean, he is, he is probably one of the best producers that I've been around, and he is a smooth brother. And I will say, man, the Bachelor Pad is is an amazing show. But I just had to throw that out there, man. You've got to be a smooth brother to have a name like L.A. Bachelor. Like L.A. Hey, and listen, guys. Yeah. Say that. Thanks for saying that. The check is in the mail. Just want to let you know. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, hey, hey, right. hey! I gotta say this now. Now, as we come to a close, now L.A. is a, is a smooth brother. But I gotta say this now. I think we have got a smooth. Uh, uh, a, a smooth song at the end of our show. So L.A. has got the swag. He's got the, the smoothest. But we want to make sure you come back and listen to uh, You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.